Today I'm reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Very familiar passage, but often a very misunderstood one. Starting with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gave us our mission before he bodily left this world. It's simple. Go, make disciples, start out by baptizing them, and then teach them my commandments. Is that what Je- isn't that what Jesus taught us to do? No, that's not what Jesus taught us to do. Listen again to what he said. He didn't say, teach them my commandments. He said, teaching them to obey my commandments. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he said, and I'll be there right by your side in spirit, helping you to do it until the end. We have a problem in Christianity today both in this nation and to some degree worldwide. We are not doing what Jesus told us to do. Jesus said, make disciples. What we're doing is making converts who often have no clue what real discipleship is. We are educating the followers of Jesus to learn all kinds of things that often does not lead to any kind of obedience. Jesus said, teach them to obey not teach to see how smart you can make them. Most of Jesus' commandments, at least in North American Christianity, are treated as optional these days. Whether it's giving, well, I'll give what I want to give. Or how to treat enemies, well, I, you know, somebody crosses me, watch out. Or regarding materialism, or, you know, I'll buy what I want to buy. Or sexuality, the church often defers to the almighty individual, not to almighty God anymore. The result is often growth in the church without any depth in the church. As one person described Christianity, it is in this country, it is a mile wide and an inch deep. We have converts who act and live like the fallen world around them. You can't tell the difference. We have salt that has lost its saltiness, and we have light that has been hidden under a bushel basket of of mediocre, syncretistic Christianity. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you not, were not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. You still are worldly. What would he say to us? You are acting like mere fallen human beings, he said. Later in Colossians 1, he said, We proclaim Christ teaching and encouraging everything with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature. Not perfect, but mature. Not perfect, but changed. Not perfect, but transformed. That is the goal of ministry, to make imperfect disciples. So how do we change this profoundly disturbing trend? How do we move people from milk to meat from immaturity to maturity? How do we combine growth and depth? 
I'm so glad you asked. I just happened to have a sermon on that very topic, aren't you lucky today? For years I searched for what I thought was the biblical way to make disciples. I kept looking at discipleship in this country going, there's something wrong. What's missing here? And I would read this book and I'd read that book and one would be on prayer and one would be on the Bible and one would be on obedience. And, one... and finally when I read the book Miraculous Movements, I saw a process that wove together all the things the New Testament did to make the kind of disciples that changed the world. The process, by the way, is simple. But simple and profound are not two different things. And a process, in order for it to be effective, has to be it. This process involves five basic steps, and all are right out of Scripture. You have heard of all of them. There's nothing new here. But the way they're put together and how they're explained will be a little different than you've heard. The first step is this. The first way you make disciples is you get people into Scripture. You get people into the Word. You may be going, duh, isn't that what every church does? Isn't that what we do at HBIC all the time? And the answer, surprisingly, in many places and in many ways, is no. We don't get people into the Word all the time. Often, not at all. The church often comes between people and the Scriptures. We inadvertently often teach people that the Bible is too hard for the average person to understand. You really need a professional to teach you what it says. You need a preacher or some wise and saint of 50 years to tell you the profound mysteries of Scripture. It's too hard for the average person to get. And it is true there are some passages of Scripture that are difficult to understand. But I want you to hear this today. 95% of all Scripture is easily understood by anybody. You don't need a Ph.D. from some sem seminary to understand, love your neighbor as yourself. Any moron can understand that. I shouldn't have said that. If you're a moron, I apologize. <laughs> or God loves a cheerful giver. Do you need a seminary degree to know that? Or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many years of school do you have to go to grasp that concept? The first step in making disciples is for the church to quit spoon-feeding people all the time Scripture and teach them how to feed themselves. Our main job is not to just tell people what the Bible says, but to show people how to discover for themselves what the Bible says. We need to quit teaching people they need some sort of expert to tell them what they need to know about Scripture and help them plunge right into Scripture and the discover the power of Scripture for themselves. That doesn't mean there's not a place for teaching and preaching on Sunday morning. I am not trying to preach myself out of a job this morning. That would be tragic. But it's like this. Coming to Sunday morning is like having going to a restaurant. This is a prepared meal for you, and that's okay. But at some point, you cannot eat 21 meals a week in a restaurant, you have to learn to fix your own food. You have to learn to feed yourself. And I can tell you that anybody that can read can read the Bible and understand what it is saying the vast majority of times. And here's the problem if we don't do this. 
if the professionals do all the explaining, the professionals become the authority in the church instead of the Bible and the Holy Spirit becoming the authority in the church. Jesus said that the Spirit was sent to be our main teacher of truth. He said, when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. And people are to experience that firsthand. Our job as a church is to facilitate discovery in God's word by people and not do it for people. Our job is to give people a fork and a knife and a spoon and tell them to eat, not keep them on a baby bottle that we hold in their mouth for the rest of their lives. The Word of God can speak to every person here, anywhere, anytime. This process, this discipleship-making process, basically asks people this when they come to Scripture. When you read the Scripture, what did it say to you? What truth did you discover? Not what the teacher said. What truth did you discover? What is God saying here that you can see for yourself? And most of the time... It's obvious. You can learn the truth of Scripture. It's not supposed to be a bunch of secrets known only by an elite few. The second step in disciple-making that we're launching here today is this. What are you going to do about what you've just read? What does this Scripture ask of me? What am I being called to? Seminaries, seminars, book studies, Bible studies. Have you noticed that one thing almost is always missing? People teach you all these profound truths, but nobody ever says, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to it? And that's the question. The question is, what are you going to do about this truth? Not do you di- agree or disagree with this truth. I've been to so many Bible studies where we, we argue about whether we like it or not. The question is not, do I fully comprehend every aspect or implication of this truth? It's not, is this truth hard to do? Or is this truth culturally relevant today? The question is, what is God calling me to do? And what am I going to do about it? In Western civilization, you see, we adopted the academic model of learning. And here it is in a nutshell. Study, get it in your head, mission accomplished. Now there's some virtue in that. But you see, the question in academia is not often, am I applying the truth I study? If it does, applies to career and stuff, it might. But often in academia, you're just amassing a whole mess of information in your head that after you take the test, you're never going to use again. Oh, I got an amen on that. (laughs) Bunch of angry test takers. (laughs) Biblically speaking, biblically speaking, learning scripture is the first test, not the the first step, not the last step. Again, discipleship's goal is to not make us smart, but to make us good. Good like Jesus is good. To form the character of Jesus in us. The goal of discipleship is not information. The goal of discipleship is transformation. If we don't apply the truths we discover, we are worse off than if we didn't know them at all.
Remember, the devils in hell know the truth. They know the Bible better than you and I know the Bible. They know correct doctrine from false doctrine. And guess what? All that knowledge doesn't do them one bit of good that they know the Bible better than you and I. You know why? Because they submit to none of it. They obey none of it. They apply none of it. So often I hear people say, the Bible bores me. Well, if you do nothing about the truth you're reading, it gets boring quick. Just piling up unused facts does no one any good. Eventually, if you keep learning stuff and learning stuff and you do nothing with it and it affects you in no way, after a while you go, what am I doing learning all this useless information? We are called to obedience. We are called to internalize what we're learning. And we should not, as a general principle, just keep what we often do in our Sunday schools and small groups, which is keep jumping from truth to truth to truth and doing nothing about what we're studying. We're missing the whole point, aren't we? Erwin McManus writes, A church begins to live by faith when its people move the things God has clearly said into the non-optional category. A church doesn't need to pray about whether it needs to pray. It doesn't need to ask about whether we should love and serve each other. You don't have to go, gee, wonder if we should do this. It doesn't need to seek God's will about whether we should be a wit loving witness in the world. No, no, God wants us grouchy. It's up to us. Remember, knowledge without obedience is exactly what the serpent offered Eve in the garden. Remember he, what the serpent said? Eat of the fruit and you'll know good from evil. Eat of the fruit, and you'll be as smart as God. All you have to do is feed your brain and feed your brain and disobey while you're doing it. The devil keeps doing the same trick over and over. Let's learn the Bible. Let's read the Bible. Let's debate the Bible. Let's discover the Bible. And the devil is perfectly satisfied as long as you do nothing about it. Our goal is obedience, nothing less. Jesus said, again, teach them everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Our goal that's what we're... is to obey. And guess what? When we obey, we begin to change. Obedience morphs us. It forms us. It transforms us. Obedience or the attempt to obey does something else too. If you ever try to obey what God tells you in Scripture to do, it will drive you to your knees. Because that leads us to the third step of disciple-making. The third step of disciple-making is prayer. The question that follows after step number one, what is God asking? What is God saying? Step number two, how do I apply this, what he's asking in my life, leads to step number three. What kind of help do I need from God to respond to the first two questions? And the answer is always, start praying. Ask God for what you need in order to obey Him. God is waiting to hear from you. This gets people quickly, not in just into the Word and into obedience, it gets people into spirit life. 
This is where people invite the Holy Spirit to move in their hearts. And guess what? He can't wait to move in our hearts. This is where Christ becomes real. This is where real deep change happens is when we start to try to obey the will of God as it is easily understood and we say, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. Guess what? He can't wait to help you, help you, help you. When people seek to obey God's word and ask God to help them do just that, people discover just how real God is. They find a power they never knew existed. They get concrete answers to prayer. Miracles often happen when people are trying to do what God wants. And so here is the first principle of prayer, by the way. Are you ready for the first principle of prayer? People learn to pray by praying. Our job is not to just give people ten principles of prayer at some seminar and then let it just sit there. I have been to prayer seminars where we studied the principles of prayer all day long and we didn't pray once. And that's not how you learn to pray. Let me ask you, how did you learn to swim? Did you learn, did you read a textbook? Did you lay on the ground and practice strokes? No, here's how almost, how many of you know how to swim, by the way? The first service was abysmal. Oh, you're much better. You're much better. The first service, if there's a flood, they were all gone. <laughs> the first principle of learning to swim is you jump in the water. The first principle of learning to pray is you pray. Right from the start, right from the word go, jump in and swim. Let the Spirit reveal Himself to you. Let Him pour His love into your heart. And leaders, this is really important. Get out of the way. Trust that Jesus will show up when people pray just like he said he would. Trust that the Holy Spirit will do his job, show up, and begin to teach people how to pray. Show people how you pray, and then you look at them and say, now it's your turn. God is anxious to answer prayers based on his words and with people trying to obey. He really is. He gets excited about this. And this leads to the fourth step or the fourth principle in, in disciple making. The first three steps I talked about are always done in the context of Christian community. We grow best together. Either one-on-one or, one or in small groups, the journey of grace I'm talking about needs to happen as we journey with each other. So often in America, well, you know, it's, it, it, it's been polluted. It's been polluted by individualism of North America. It's affected the faith in our churches. We actually think we grow better by ourselves. You know, we think that, that life, that, that spiritually we're better off if we climb in a phone booth. Just me and Jesus. For you younger people, you can look up phone booth on Wikipedia and find out what I'm talking about. We didn't have smart booths back there either. Anyway, let me tell you something. Spiritually and physically, isolation kills. They have done studies, and they have... You know what the number one cause of death really is in America? Loneliness. 
And they found that when people are lonely, they don't take care of themselves. Their immune systems go down, and then they get stuff like cancer and diabetes and on and on and on and on. But what started it was that they were people in isolation, and they did not know what to do about it. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We are called to pray together, seek the truth together, journey together. And although Sunday morning is important for worship and fellowship and hearing God's Word, and this kind of structure, we can do certain things that you can never do one-on-one or even in small groups, I have to tell you something. Real disciple-making cannot take place in this sanctuary on Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning, I can't address each of you individually. Not the way you can in one-on-one or in small groups. I can't listen to each of you. We can't all share our stories at the same time. We'd be here till Wednesday. We can't pray for every need. We'd be here till Thursday. We can't journey together in depth in a public worship service. Disciple-making has to be more personal than Sunday morning allows. One of my favorite stories, and some of you have heard it, is from Philip Yancey. And if you've heard it before, tough noogies. I once vis- he, he says, I once visited a church that manages, with no denominational headquarters or paid staff, manages to attract millions of devoted members each week. It goes by the name of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, I went at the invitation of a friend who had just confessed to me his problem with drinking. Come along, he said, and I think you'll catch a glimpse of what the early church must have been like. He said in the sharing time, it, it, it was textbook AA. It said it was marked by compassionate listening, warm responses, many hugs, Each person attending gave a personal progress report of his or her battle with addiction. He said, we laughed a lot, we cried a lot. And he said, mostly the members seemed to enjoy being around people who could see right through their facades. He said, there was no reason not to be honest. Everybody knew everybody was in the same boat. There's no use lying about it. He said, my friend freely admitted that AA has replaced the church for him. And that this fact sometimes troubles him. He said, AA groups borrow the sociology and structure of the church along with a few of the words and concepts. But he said, they have no underlying doctrine or or body of faith. And he said, when I go to AA, I miss that. But mainly, I'm trying to survive. And AA helps me in that struggle far better than any local church. He says other people don't go to church because they went to church and told people their problems and they were judged. And one person said, the last thing I will do is walk into a church again and say, hi, I'm Tom, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And look at the stairs. Yancey said, I came away from the midnight church impressed, yet also troubled that AA meets the needs in the way that the church does not, at least not for my friend. And he said, I asked him to name one quality missing in the local church that AA somehow provided. And he said, I listened to him, and I I thought he might say, well, the church isn't loving enough, or or the church isn't accepting enough, or it's too institutional. And he said, no, no, the one thing I find in AA that I don't find in the church 
if I were to put it into one word, is dependency. He said, none of us can make it on our own. Isn't that why Jesus came? We can't make it on our own. He said, yet most church people give off a self-satisfied air of piety and superiority. He said, I don't sense them needing God or each other. Their lives appear to be in order. An alcoholic who goes to a church feels inferior and incomplete. And then he sat in silence for a little bit and he said, you know, it's funny. What I hate most about myself is my alcoholism. And because of it, I know I can't survive without God. I have to depend on Him to make it through each and every day. It's not optional. Maybe that's the redeeming value of alcoholism. Maybe God is asking us alcoholics to teach the saints what it means to be dependent on Him and His community on earth. He said, from my friend's midnight church, I learned the need for humility, total honesty versus pretense, and radical Radical dependence on God and a community of compassionate friends. And he says, as I thought about it, these qualities seemed exactly what Jesus had in mind when he formed his church. Jesus calls us to another kind of kingdom that does not depend on our performance, but on Jesus' performance. We don't have to achieve, but merely follow Jesus. He has already earned the victory of God's acceptance for us. And because of that, I don't have to pretend because it's not my virtue that's getting me into God's grace anyway. I don't have to achieve because Jesus achieved everything there was to achieve. And it means that church is a place where I can give thanks, celebrate the great news that all is forgiven, that God is love, that victory is certain. Church should be a beacon of grace to the rest of the world, not what it has become more and more, a place of pretense and supposed adequacy. I think he's right. Growth is not meant to be done individualistically. Spirituality is not supposed to be private, It's supposed to be personal, but not private. Spiritual growth happens best when we journey, take a journey of grace together. We were meant to share our lives in the Spirit openly and honestly. That's step number four. And finally, the fifth and last step of disciple-making is reproduction. When you join this movement, you are at least saying, I'm at least willing to to reach out to others and journey with them too. I'm willing to pass on what I have received. Nothing God gives us is just for our benefit, although passing it on benefits us by reinforcing what we have discovered. Let me me tell you a little secret of growth. If you want to go deeper, help others go deeper. If you want to grow spiritually, Help others grow spiritually. Reproduce. Nobody gets kicked more in the seat of the pants by my sermons than the guy preaching it. TMI. Jesus picked ordinary people without professional religious backgrounds or academic degrees or religious status to be his disciples. Did you notice that? He could have. But he counted on people like you and me to launch his kingdom and turn the world upside down. You are Christ's army. 
You are his soldiers. I got to tell you, if the salvation of Harrisburg depends only on the preachers of Harrisburg, Harrisburg is doomed. It is. If the spread of Christianity across the world is left only to the professionals, the world is lost. Christianity will not spread because of preachers. It will spread because ordinary beggars share bread with other ordinary beggars. My job is to equip God's army of ordinary beggars and show them how to be a disciple and how to help others become a disciple. If you want to go deeper, if this sounds like something God is calling you to, these steps, this process, you can talk to me or you can talk to Pastor Hank. Again, if you feel okay about your spiritual journey, but you've been wondering, can I find a tool to help others go deeper? You can talk to me or Pastor Hank. And by the way, this is a great way to lead people to Christ. It's just say, look, let's, let's take a look at the Bible. And then would you, you just kind of let them discover what the Bible says and let the, and let the Holy Ghost go do his thing. There will be people, by the way, in the coffee area wearing name tags wearing green pants with purple polka dots on them. And uh, they will talk to you about what this minister... Go with but, the name tags, the forget the pants. But the bottom line here and, uh, is that we have trained over 20, 25 people over the last months. We've trained them to do this discipling program. So after the service, if you go out there, they will talk to you. You can ask them any question you want. You can, you can share any interest you want. Also, there are sign-up sheets in the back. If you don't have time to talk to someone, you've got to get out, out of here, go do the sign-up sheets in the back. Jesus said, make disciples. And I have to be honest with you, this is the best way I have found to do it. The most holistic process I have seen. Those five steps, you know, be, I, why do I like it? Because it gets people into the Word, not someone else's explaining of the Word. People learn to feed themselves. I like that. And people are asked to do something the wor about the Word, actually to obey Jesus. When's the last time that happened? And people, are get, they get into prayer, simple, heartfelt prayer. You know, after many, a lot of Christian education experiences, you know what? People don't need to pray. You know why? Because you don't need to ask God to help you to do nothing. You want God's power? Do His will. They go hand in hand. The same with journeying together. You know, if I'm going to do nothing, I don't need you to help me do nothing. And then there's repetition. Are you willing to pass it on? This is what God is calling us to do. I hope you will listen to the Spirit because we need to multiply the disciples in this body. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, before we leave, Kiki, i got to do one more thing before we leave. Kiki and Lamont, as they said, this is their last Sunday before they start their church. And we want to send them off with blessing and prayer. So I'm going to call Kiki and Lamont and their family to come forward. By the way, last week they all had on the same outfit and those hats. 
I loved it. I thought they were going to break out into a four tops number. I really <laughs> thought that was, uh, that was, you know. But anyway, I did want to say, Kiki, we are going to miss your worship leader. Has she been a blessing to us with, uh, you know. And Lamont, there's about 25 or 30 people who are going to miss your Bible teaching on Wednesday night. We, you know, years ago I said, Lamont, I want you to start a small group. And he utterly disobeyed me. It's up to about 30. That's not a small group. But I've had the privilege of mentoring Lamont the last couple of years. We've met on a weekly basis. We're going to continue that after they start their church. And Lamont and my friendship are going to last forever. It's going to last forever. And so before we pray for them, I, I want to give the mic to Kiki and Lamont and let them share. You want me to? Um, I just want to thank God for Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. Um, it has been a tremendous blessing in my life, to my life, to my children. Um, the praise team here taught me a lot about being a leader. Um, I mean, I think that to be a good leader, you have to be willing to listen to people. You have to be willing to serve as well. And um, they also were so obedient in the flyby stuff. Like, I just appreciate uh, my praise team and all the other people who have showed my children love. And I'm, you know, encouraging words. You know, sometimes your own family won't call and check on you to see how things are going. But I've had people in this church actually say, have you had a break? Have you and your husband had an opportunity to go out tonight? We'll come and sit with the kids. I mean, you see the kids. There's five of them. So, so it's like a daycare center. So um, I just, I thank God for, for that. And um, we'll love you guys. And, and hopefully you guys understand that this doesn't mean that we're cutting off the lines and we no longer will associate. This just is, is an extension and we want you to keep us in your prayers. Amen. So, um, I remember a couple of years ago we came here, and um, I walked through the door and saw people with jeans and a T-shirt on, and I was very confused. <laughs> and then we used to see at other church, and I was kind of like, "What did we get ourselves into right now?" And, um, but. Um, as we came here after like a month or so, I kind of felt like you guys were family, and I want to thank you guys for that. Yeah, I just want to take some time and uh, uh, name by name and face by face just uh, offer thanks to, um, to my brothers and sisters. This is truly a family that we have. Uh, I don't look at any of you like, oh, they just go to my church. But I look at you like you're my family. Um, I've been touched by the way that you love. I've been touched by the way that the, the pastor has mentored me and brought me along. Uh, I was sent here by the Holy Spirit to this, to, this, uh, to this place, this assembly, this place of worship. I was actually seeing Pastor Woody's face in a dream. Um, I wasn't going to say nothing. But, you know, but uh, I actually seen his face in a dream. And... Um, I went back and I told, I actually, I actually woke my wife up and I told her where we were going and she was like, like that. <laughs> but I tell you, um, God has really been faithful. He say, told me there's things that he wants us to show and there's things that he wants us to learn. And I think we've done both of that. Um, 
just as God has sent me here, he's sending me now into another area. You know, UCP, I work for United Cerebral Palsy, and that's my job. But God has presented to me my work. A job is one thing. You can get fired from a job. You don't never retire from your work. Okay? So uh, as we go forward, just know that um, God has shown me my ending before my beginning. God has given me insight into, into, into where I'm going and into the direction I'm moving. So I'm doing it with confidence. So I, I, just, I, I just can't say enough. If I had 10,000 tongues, I could not, could, could not thank Harrisburg Brethren in Christ enough for everything that you've been to me and my family. I truly thank you, and God Amen. bless you. I, uh, I told the first service I'm going to do something risky. If you'd like to come up and gather around them and lay hands and pray for them up here, you may come. I said in the first service, I request at least 10 of you to stay seated. So uh, if you'd like to come and pray for them, come. Let's, uh, let's pray, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Kiki and Lamont. Thank you for blessing us with their friendship. Thank you for blessing us with their gifts. We have been enriched by their being with us, Lord. Bless them as they raise their family, Lord, and bless them in this new work. Lord, I'm so excited that they too are going to start a diverse congregation. And I'm so excited that Lamont and Kiki carry within them the strains of Anabaptism. They caught that here too. And so, Lord, we pray blessings on their work. Lord, help them to reach people nobody else can reach. Help them to lead people to you that no one else can lead to you. Lord, use them. Knit their body together. Prosper them. Protect them from the enemy. And Lord, above all, glorify yourself through them. Use them in wonderful ways. Use them to help change Harrisburg. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of love I feel on them right now. Lord, we're going to miss them, but we're proud of them. And we do send them with blessing. And we do send them with our encouragement. And Lord, today is not the last day we pray for them. Many of us will pray for them weekly and daily. And so, Lord, we give them to you. And we pray you use them as living sacrifices. Thank you for them in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen, amen and amen. Let's send them all. Patrick Cicero is not here, all right? Years ago, about three years ago, Patrick Cicero gave me a book here when he was doing a children's child, a ministry, children's and he gave it to me, and, and I, I said, well, I like this book. Let me take it home or whatever. I ended up taking it back to my job, and there was a little, a, a young girl who fell in love with the book. She would not relinquish the book for about three years. So I got it out of her hands. I said, hey, I'm about to go to another church. I need, I need the book, you know, and she finally gave it to me, but I wanted to thank Patrick and let him know how important that book. It was a book about the Wemmicks, about, about being, how people being special, everyone being special. So, 
Well, uh, as you know, Patrick's a lawyer, and uh, uh, we'll tell him so he can stop the lawsuit that uh, <laughs> that was proceeding. So um, we are going to end the service since we've run over. But I, at, at Kiki and them are going to sing, and we will pray for anybody up front that needs prayer. But the service, I'd like you to stand. I'm going to have a concluding prayer, and the service is over. But if you'd like to stay and sing, or if you'd like the prayer, you may stay. But feel free to go. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body. And Lord, we pray again for Kiki and Lamont and the new church they're founding. We also pray, Lord, for the discipleship ministry here. May chain reactions begin today that echo into eternity at both churches with both ministries. And so, Lord, again, help us to obey you and follow all of your commandments. Help us to worship you with all of our hearts. Send us out in your power. Make us disciples in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Oh,
I give myself away so we